Welcome to another episode of the She Ventures Now podcast. I'm your host, Gail Nicole, founder and coach at SheVenturesNow.com, where I help single millennial women use success strategies to level up in their career, their creativity, and their confidence. I'm pretty stoked about today's episode. In it, I'm going to be interviewing a former mentor of mine, uh, Pastor Glenn Valkamp. Glenn has been a marriage counselor for 20 plus years. We both went to the same church. He's definitely been instrumental in strengthening my beliefs and challenging my beliefs. But one of the reasons I brought him on was to get his expertise on the hangups that a lot of single women face as it relates to dating, attraction, love, and relationship. I'm happy to have Glenn on the podcast because of his research and study into women and the insight that he brings to bear about how Jesus empowered women and treated them equally Um, I think you would find this interview to be really insightful. So be encouraged, take note and listen in. I am so glad to see you and reconnect and just have you on the She Ventures Now podcast to talk about love. Mm. (laughs) Are you excited as I am or no? (laughs) My heart is pumping and beating out of my chest with enthusiasm. (laughs) Stop it. So just so that everyone is aware, we go way back. You know, You've known me since I was uh, 19, 18, 19, when I was a you know, college sophomore at University of Florida. And I was- I knew you when you were a millennial. When I, stop it. I'm still a millennial. Come on. But um, no, I, yeah, we go way back. And I really wanted to invite you onto the She Venture Now podcast as a love expert. I know you don't take to that phrase very well, but because you have such a, you know, deep experience of being a marriage counselor, especially at the church that we both attended. Um, I wanted to invite you on to really discuss, you know, and share some of your observations and your expertise on love and particularly to, to single women, um, because that's a large part of my audience that is listening to She Ventures Now podcast. So before we start, I want to give you an mm-hmm. opportunity to introduce yourself so everyone knows who you are. So yes, my name is Glenn Velocamp and um, I have been a pastor in several settings. Uh, One was a a very strict community that I belonged to years and years and years ago. Uh, But then coming out of that, I uh, went to a very uh, mainstream denominational type church and was a counseling pastor there for 18 years. And so in, in the course of doing that, you hear a lot of things from a lot of different people. So you see you see what happens after people get married <laughs> and, uh, and so, and then you get to talk to people before they get married. And so I've married a lot of people. And along with those marriages, I gave a lot of premarital counseling and uh, even for the other pastors that were on staff, they didn't want to do the counseling. So I did the premarital counseling for them too, even though I didn't marry the people. Mm-hmm. And, but then when they came back, you know, when they had problems because every marriage has problems. Mm. Have single problems. Married people have marriage problems. It's just the way it is. And um, then we could talk about it. So my, my whole, um, my whole uh, idea, my motivation from the start would be to help someone to be set up to prevent the problems that are going to come up, Mm. Um, not prevent the challenges or the temptations or the, um, the, the difficulties that come up from two people living together, not to present the, the testing, but to prevent the falling into yeah. 
the trappings of marriage as we know it. So that led into studying marriage biblically. Yeah. Which is different than marriage as we know it, even for Christians. Right. Christians would be surprised to learn that the Bible has a different view on marriage than most Christians do. Right. There's a mouthful. Very. And I love that mouthful. Come with the mouthful, Pastor Glenn. This is where I want you to come, okay? Uh-huh. You, were in, you were invited to this podcast, so you know, definitely turn your microphone up, Pastor Glenn. <laughs> All right, so here's what I want. I want to just uncover some more of your story because I like to hear stories, and I want people to know that you're human. It's not like you're an expert and you're a robot, and you just, you know, you just dish out good advice that doesn't come from somewhere. What were, what were some of the triggers or, or what was the story in you becoming a marriage counselor? What made you say, okay, I want to do that? I mean, was somebody just saying, you know, were the, count, were the pastors that you were in community with, like, I just don't want to do marriage counseling, so you were the only one? Or was there some personal thing that you went through that, and I don't know this, so you share with me. I'm, how did you- Okay, so way back in undergrad, back in San Diego, long years ago, back in the 60s, um, it was it was uncanny for me because uh, people, uh, girls and guys, would come to me and ask me questions about life in general. Of course, back then everything was you know, love and peace and drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. But they would come to me and ask me things, and 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 I would, I really wouldn't give them answers because what did I know? I was like nineteen, and. Um, <laughs> Oh no, you're breaking up. Ah. I am? Breaking up is hard to do. You're good. You're good now. You're good. Okay. Um my interconnect my internet connection is unstable. It's better now. Go for it. Okay. It just told me that. Um so so um so I would listen to people. I, I just I had the natural ability to listen to people. I didn't know it at the time, but this is a very big part of counseling is listening yeah. to the person. Well, I didn't know that, but I was a good listener. So people would come to me and tell me all their troubles. And I would say, well, that sounds really hard. And they would love that. And that I would, that was, they'd walk away saying, Oh, he's so good. You know, <laughs> it's all I did was listen. You're so bad. You're so bad. I know, but that's what would happen. And so then, um, being in the Christian community later on, it, the same thing would happen within the community. People would just come and talk and I would listen. Yeah. And I, I didn't work at it. I didn't study it. It was just something that was natural. And so when I did uh, come to the, um, the mainstream denominational organization, I just wanted to be a normal Christian, just go to church. And, and I really wanted it for my kids. I wanted my kids to be involved in something. So I just come and attend. And, but in the course of doing that, I'd go visit people in the hospital and talk to people and they would talk to me and I would listen to them. And before long, people that had problems that were usually going to the pastor for their counseling were coming to me and just talking. And I was just listening. Right. And the pastor picked up on this. He was like, do you know how much my counseling load has gone down since you have been here? And I was like, no. And so he was, would you consider being a pastor? Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. 
what do I have to do? He says, nothing more than you're doing right now. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's how it started. Wow. So it was counseling for everything, you know, for, for drug addiction and for suicidal and for Probably. marriage problems and for uh, gender identity problems. Is that what we call it? And all that, all, all the above. And so that's how it started. But then it really began to focus in on marriage, pre-marriage, because that's what a lot of people, we started drawing a younger and younger audience. Yeah. And so most of the people were unmarried college students, undergrads and grads alike, grad students alike. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how it developed. Wow. It's an interesting story, especially as someone who enjoys hearing career transition stories. It's so cool to see how that fell in your lap a bit, sort of serendipitously. And to know that your natural raw talent from years prior. Well, and then that led to, and that caused me to have to know what I was talking about when someone would ask (laughs) a question. So I would read Neil Anderson's books about victory over the darkness and bondage breaker to get an idea of what issues people were dealing with. Right. And also his, his books on marriage, Jack Hayford's books on marriage. Um, Also there's a um, um, very good uh, book on relationships called keep your love on by Danny Silk. Uh, which I highly recommend. There's Love and Respect by the Eggeriches. There's uh, um, the person that wrote the uh, Venus and Mars, that guy, but not that guy. Uh, Gary, the name will come around. He oh, wrote a book no. called Toward a Growing. Five Love Languages? Gary Chapman. Yeah, Gary Chapman, who's the author of Five Love Languages. Also, we went to his conference and so I started learning all of what was going on. And to my dismay, I was finding out that Christian authors did not mm. have the answers for Christian single young ladies. Really? No, really? I, did not, I did not know that you were going to say that. That's well, they, but they didn't have the answers because I was looking for the answers. Mm. And I would have the young ladies coming to me. Some of them, my own spiritual daughters. You know what I mean? You're playing games. Playing games on a live podcast. Don't put my business out there, Pastor Glenn. And so I needed to know. I wanted to, I wanted to know the truth. Now, I didn't want to know denominational, doctrinal statements made in the back of books that were written by these denominational people. I wanted to know the truth. What did Jesus say that young ladies should do about relationships hey i've looked i've looked there is not a chapter on how jesus flirted there's just not a chapter i just he did say love one another as i have loved you right he did say that and to me that puts us all on equal playing field yeah. And so my second book that I wrote is mm-hmm. called The Samaritan Woman You Never Knew. Mm-hmm. Just happened to have a copy of it right here. <laughs> yes. The Samaritan Woman You Never Knew, because I found out that there are women in the Bible that Jesus spoke about and that were spoken about that Jesus interacted with that we have completely the wrong take on. 
And so that needed to be exposed because what it does is it puts women on an equal playing field with men, equal. So talk about it. Tell us about that. All right. So the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, the same woman, she has marked, she is branded with, you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. She's one of the bad women of the Bible. You know, I've been to Christian bookstores and I've looked on the shelves and there are books, several called the bad women of the Bible, the wicked yeah. women of the Bible, the evil women of the Bible. There are none that say the good women of the Bible. What? Aren't there any? Of course there are. But guess what? They're all in the Old Testament. Well, you have Deborah and you have Ruth and you have Esther and, and these stories and they're all in the Old Testament. Well, where's the New Testament stories? Where's the, yeah. where's the good news about women, young single women in the New Testament? No, it's... Mary Magdalene, the whore, the prostitute, the yeah. women, the woman of ill repute, whatever you want, a harlot. And she wasn't. Nowhere in the Bible does it say she was that. Mm -hmm. Where do we get this from? The Syrophoenician woman comes up to Jesus and says, would you heal my daughter? And he says, you're a dog. Mm. What? Mm. That's what we've been taught. Mm. But in this book, I explain that that's not what it's saying. In my other book that I wrote after that, they heard what they thought he meant. <laughs> and they wrote that down. Mm -hmm. All right. So, but the words of Jesus, I believe that the words of Jesus, the red words, are the words that Jesus spoke because they were trained to listen and to memorize. Most Jewish boys, by the time they were 12 years old, had memorized the whole first five books of the Bible, the Torah. That, that was their way of learning. Most of them were illiterate. They couldn't read or write, but they could listen and they could give back to you exactly what was said because that's how they learned. They memorized. So I believe they did memorize Jesus' words. And in the Gospels, you will find that the words that Jesus spoke are pretty identical no matter who recorded it. Now, the stories are all different. What John said is different than what Luke said, and what Matthew said is different than what Mark said. But when it comes to recording the words, the red words, they're pretty much the same. I trust them. Mm -hmm. So I go by the red words. Red words first. They're preeminent. Jesus said it. Now we need to find out how the other things either support it, agree with it, or if they differ, then we have to put it aside and say, well, that was one of those things that they thought they knew what he meant but he was clearly talking about something else. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And they all thought, not, not one person knew what he was talking about. But it says that later, after the resurrection, then they knew that he was speaking about the temple of his body. So Jesus spoke in this code language all the time. So when he, when he addressed the Samaritan woman, that woman was a prophetess. She was an Israelite. Mm -hmm. She knew the law. She knew where they were supposed to be worshiping. According to the law in Deuteronomy, she knew that Mount Gizurim is where they should be worshiping. Right. And you Jews, that it was, and she knew that when the Messiah comes, he would tell all things that happened. Okay. Jesus treated women equally, equally. They were equal. Look, Oh, we're getting a little bit of a tech issue. Sorry, there's a little bit of a lag. Hold on. And we're back. And we're back, part two. Yes, and I think the pot was boiling a little bit, and it was kind of funny that we shorted out just as you were getting juicy. Go. 
You were talking. Okay. But if you want to talk, get close to the microphone so I can hear you. All right. I'm close to the microphone. You can hear me just fine. Yes. Okay. And so I forget where we were, but I know that we were talking about the equality of women. Yeah, that's exactly where we were. And we were talking about the Samaritan woman. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, Okay. So Jesus leveled the playing field by treating women equal to men. And I don't mean by upper body strength or intelligence (laughs) or any of those things. I'm talking about the value of women and the value of men equally spiritually, spiritually, authoritatively speaking, because there is this, um, there's this thing. First of all, I'll say that when it came to preaching the gospel, Jesus said, look, ladies, come here, gather around. Joanna, Susanna, Mary, others. Listen, um, my brothers are having a hard time understanding about this resurrection thing. They didn't really believe it in the first place. And, you know, uh, Mary of Bethany didn't even go to the tomb because she believed Jesus was raised from the dead. Everybody else is at the tomb looking for him because they, well, he's dead. Um, look, you guys go find my brothers and go tell them that I've been raised from the dead. This is an evangelist going and telling the gospel is the good news that Jesus is raised from the dead. So they are the first evangelists and they were sent. They were sent by Jesus. You have any idea what the Greek word for sent is? No. Apostle. Oh. Oh. Women can't be apostles. Yes. Jesus saw no difference. In Christ, men and women are equal. Well, see, when this, this plays into the whole relationship thing about marriage because men are like the head of the house. Yes, they're the head of the house. Well, no, not really. What do you mean? Aren't women supposed to submit? Well, the verse before that that Paul talks about says submit one to another. Mm-hmm. So before we have women submit to men, we have submit one to another. Okay, so we're, we're supposed to submit one to another, and we're supposed to love one another as Jesus has loved us. It's not this group does this and this group does this. Men should love their wives as Christ loved the church, and women should submit to their husbands. No. Yes, but no. It's not just that. It's, it's men and women should love one another as Christ loved them mm. equally. Right. And men and women should submit one to another equally. That's what it says. All right, so where do we get this idea from? Well, didn't God say to Eve that your husband will rule over you? Yes, he said that because it was punishment. It was punishment. It was after they ate the forbidden fruit that he said, because you have done this, your husband will rule over you. Well, guess what happens when we come to Christ? All punishment is taken away. Wow. Ah. So for those that are in Christ, for women, for young single women that are in Christ, the punishment is taken away and your husband will not rule over you. Christ will rule over you. We have one master and it's not your husband. 
Now, back that up to the relationship part. A lot of people have a fine relationship before they get married. They get to the altar, and all of a sudden, the man hears, you're in charge. Anything goes wrong, you're responsible. It's up to you to make sure the bills are paid, and there's a roof over their head, and you're the provider, and you're the spiritual leader, and blah, 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 blah. you got to do all these things at the altar. This is what he hears when he says, I do. The woman hears, obey. It's like pig Latin. Obey. You have to come under. You have to submit. Whatever your husband wants to do, you have to follow him around like a little puppy dog. And you don't have ministry anymore. You do his ministry and you help and you support and you're his helpmate and you're his help meet. And you're his oh no, you're up just a little bit. And over. Relationship is over. Pause for five seconds. I just want you to repeat that last sentence that you said. Okay. And so in, in a minute, in a minute's time, during the wedding ceremony, when they both say, I do, the relationship is over. They have, they have enjoyed a relationship where they were equal until they got married. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. He feels all this responsibility. She feels like she has to give up everything and come under, and the whole relationship changes when it shouldn't. Here's a newsflash. Nobody's in charge. Well, how do you thank you the same way you did before you got married? But how do you make decisions with your money? Same way you did before you, but, but we had our separate money. Well, put it together and then make decisions. Nobody's in charge. Okay. If we can get rid of that in charge thing, Relationships would be a lot better. And what are your biblical grounds for that? Well, we've already talked about it. Um, you can read the book, The Samaritan Woman You Never Knew. That'll help. But you, but men and women should be able to read the Bible, read Jesus' words, and internalize them and have a relationship with Christ. Why does that change? Why does that change when there's a marriage? What all of a sudden, all of a sudden now, there is another mediator between man and God? Now all of a sudden, because of marriage, Jesus Christ is not the only mediator between God and man, that there's another person. Now women have to have another man that they go through to get through to Christ, to get through to God? No. No. You have your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. Boom. I have some thoughts. Do you think that a lot of this, the confusion, really stems from more cultural expectations rather than even strong church dogma? Because I almost sense sometimes in my own interpretation of, cause I have, I have been one of those women that's like, no, the guy needs to be the head of the household. Da, 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 da. Like that's what I wanted. I thought, um, and all that, what being HOH meant, right. He would be the main. I, I have, I have a term for that. Uh -huh. I call it spiritual Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> hold on, hold on before you go. 
<laughs> I've heard you say this before, but head of household, main breadwinner, um, spiritual leader, all these things. And again, a lot of this stuff is indoctrination. A lot of this stuff is just, you pick it up from being in church for so long, even though no one's really breaking down what exactly is a relationship. You're just hearing that, you know, as a woman, you're hearing that you need to have these things. And then when it's not in a relationship, you see the negative side of the woman feeling like everything is on her shoulders. I come from this. Hello, I'm Jamaican. So here's the thing. I wonder if we get circuitry, mental circuitry cross, because, you know, in one sense, we know, you know, it's not a deal breaker if maybe he's not the, he's not the head of household. He's not the main breadwinner. But then so much of masculinity from the male standpoint has been defined around those things, right? So then there's that cultural push, that messaging, but then so much of femininity, and this is where I can definitely speak to, has been pushed to like submission, obedience, gentleness, just, you know, being soft-spoken and being pretty in a corner and make babies for him and stay at home and make bread. You don't have to win the bread, just make the bread, you know, like, and it's in a, in my mind, it's like that is the that's the epitome of a great home and marriage. It's he's the leader, he gets to lead. I stroke his pride, and I you know he comes home. Yeah, we get to go make babies, and I make babies. You know, and so even as a single woman, I think the confusion sometimes is like, well, I'm too independent. But mind you, I'm single, so I have to figure out how to do life alone. <laughs> so then. I don't know. For me, I've kind of become more intrigued by your books and, and what you're saying because I'm just like, I think I have it wrong. <laughs> I think Obviously, I I'm not going to be able to tell you everything in this one little talk of, of you know, where these ideas come from and, and, the, and the verses that support it. But most of it's going to come from Jesus's words and his actions. What did he do? He mm -hmm. empowered the women. He did. Go. Who was in the upper room? Women. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> With the men. Equal. Equal. And so, so yeah, we, ha we have the spiritual Stockholm Syndrome where, where women have been indoctrinated to believe this. Explain Stockholm Syndrome just in case people don't Stockholm know. Stockholm Syndrome happened, you know, years ago in Stockholm, Sweden, where bank robbers went in, took hostages, and... And captives could deal with this was to embrace their captors and agree with them rather than endure the torture of being a hostage. And so this goes on all the time. You'll hear it from time to time in different situations. Girls that get kidnapped and are enslaved and sex trafficking, they often identify with their captors mentally because they can't cope with it any other way. And this is called Stockholm Syndrome. Okay, so spiritual Stockholm Syndrome is the woman is told that this is what's going to happen, and this is the way it needs to be. And, and the only way for her to, all of a sudden, this woman who heretofore has been an intellectual, an academic, a leader, an ounce women, a leader of women, and all of a sudden she is now to be silent and meek and quiet and just speak when you're spoken to and, like you say, make babies and cook meals. And that's not the role that Jesus had 
for women. It's certainly not the role that he had for Mary Magdalene, go tell my brothers. Um, the, the other Joanna, Susanna, names mentioned as the other women, is certainly not the rule that uh, was for Priscilla when she taught men. We can mm -hmm. find that in there. And um, would I dare even say that possibly the writer of Hebrews could have been a woman? A woman? You're daring. Therefore, it's anonymous. <laughs> All right. Could have happened. All right. So, so yes, cultural, yes. I don't know. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know of a single culture in the whole world where women are not second-class citizens. Hmm. Yeah, cultural. Yeah. But that's the world. Mm -hmm. That's not Jesus. And so, yeah, so the church has become like the world. It's a, it's a very bad trap that, that most denominations have fallen into. We're like, we, we think we're going to win the world by being like the world. The music, the settings, the, the culture, the, the head of the house thing, the, the raising the children, it's all... It's all like the world, like the rest of the world. It's not separate. It's not different. It's not Jesus-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Jesus said, yeah, let's go, let's go with what Jesus said. Let's look at how Jesus treated Mary Magdalene. Yeah. She was exalted. Let's look how Jesus treated the woman that was taken in adultery. Oh, my God, do we see the, the false, the double standard here? that it was okay for the man to be in this adulterous relationship because she was taken in the very act. Mm -hmm. The man was there. They let him go. Brought her to Jesus and said, okay, what do we do? She's been taken in adultery. More than likely, this woman was a woman who had been put away by her husband without a divorce paper. Now, there's a whole other subject, but... In Deuteronomy, God told Moses, you tell those men that if they're going to put their wives away, they must give them a bill of divorcement. Because the rule was, without a bill of divorcement, without a writing setting them free, they could not remarry. The whole purpose of this bill of divorcement was so that women could remarry. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, divorce and remarriage in a church setting is taboo. Well, you can't do that. Well, and so it's becoming more lenient, more lenient, and, and churches are kind of allowing that to happen. But I heard recently on the radio by a preacher, if I said his name, you would know who it was. Oh, yes, we allow people who have been divorced and remarried to be members of our church, but they can't be in leadership. What? That was the whole purpose of that, because there's two different settings. There's the putting away and there's the bill of divorcement. They're different. They're different words in the Greek. They're different words in the Hebrew. But in modern translations, they lump it all together and call the whole thing divorce. But it's not. So this woman was probably one that her husband had put her away. Yeah. Like Joseph thought to do with Mary. Put her away privately. Nobody would know. Privately. And so she was probably put away. The man was probably also one who had had a wife, but her away. 
they got together and they had this marriage. They were living together, but they found her and said, she doesn't have divorce from her husband. So she's in adultery. But the man, it was okay for him. Men could have mistresses. It was okay. Men could have polygamy. It was okay. But women couldn't. See the unequalness? And Jesus exposed that. And that's why he went off into all this and told the Pharisees, because some of them were doing the exact same thing. He that marries a woman that has been put away also commits adultery. Mm -hmm. You should have brought the man too. They didn't. So women treated, Jesus treated women and men equally. Got it. Got it. We should. So So what do you do? What do you do as a young, single female when all of culture is against this? All the churches are against this. And what are you going to do? You're going to call up some guy and say, hey, I've seen you around. I'd like to have a cup of coffee and get to know you better. Oh, no. We can't do that because that, because that wouldn't be a virtuous woman. <laughs> and stay single. Stop making fun of our lives, Pastor Glenn. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just it's so sad. But like, literally, being a single woman gets boiled down to how much you're not forward when you're really like a guy like what and how pure you are. Yeah. And we know that opposites attract. We know that, you know, extroverts attract introverts. Um, Love language people attract other love language people, temperaments, melancholy, phlegmatic, all that stuff. Uh, We don't know that. We don't know that. Well, that's what happens. Yeah. That's why you need to talk to a good counselor. And take the Myers-Briggs test and find out what your personality is. And you'll find out that the person you're attracted to is a different personality. And that's why we're attracted because one person that wants to talk, 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 and the other person wants to listen, listen, listen. And the person that wants to listen calms down the person that wants to talk, 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 talk all the time. And so they end up being attracted to each other. But you can't expect the other person to snap and be like what I want you to be like if it's different from your personality that you were before you were married. This is what attracted to you to the person in the first place. So men are attracted. Some men who are introverts and homebodies and quiet and don't want any controversy or confrontation are, are attracted to outgoing, enthusiastic, vibrant women and then after they get married, they want them to shut up? No. No, that's why, that's what attracted you. No. Exalt your spouse. Exalt your significant other. M- make them look good. That's love. Yeah. That's love. Mm-hmm. But but let's, let's go back to the single women now. Just c- come back. I mean... I feel Put a ring on it. <laughs> All, All right. my single ladies. Yes, yes. It's like a hope and desire of every woman. But I mean, what do you say to the messaging that's out to women about, or even you know, to you because you're a man, that's out there to men about not wanting, I don't know how to say this, but not, or that she should not 
flirt too much or that she shouldn't, she, you don't want somebody that's going to upstand you or someone that's going to make you insecure. I don't know. These are the, these are the things that I've kind of heard from guys. I've heard that, you know, if they're intimidated by you, they won't, you know, it, it's just, it's so crazy because it's almost like we've been taught, women have been taught to not show that we are interested in a guy because they're supposed to make the first move, all of this. This is the, these are the, the conversations in the single bubble. They're supposed to make this first move, you know, pray, 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 wait, wait, wait. How's that working for you? Exactly. Right. Okay. So, so yeah, um, I'm sorry for the way that denominational churches, <laughs> religious, institutionalized, organized religion has portrayed this whole thing. Because it's wrong. It's just wrong. <sighs> Go get you a man and leave church out of it. <gasps> I didn't say leave God out of it. Because mm. Jesus wouldn't recognize what most churches do if he came in the back doors on some Sunday morning. He'd be like, what in the world exactly in the world are you doing? But pause. So I want to challenge that, right? Because in some ways I've kind of been navigating this and I've kind of, <laughs> a lot of the things that you said to me when I was 19, I was really miss super righteous, intense follower of Jesus. And you would be like, even gay on woman of faith. You would always say that to me. But I remember meeting woman of you, God, woman of God. And I remember meeting with you, I was 20 at the time. And it was before I got into like my first real relationship. And I was meeting with you and a good friend of mine who is still a good friend of mine to this day. And you said to us, and I said, I mentioned this to you last week, you said to us, guys, just go fall in love. And I remember being like, that is the most unspiritual thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, how does one fall in love? It's not that easy. It, it doesn't come like that, you know? And now... 10, almost 10 years later, I'm like, he was right. I mean, you even told me in my middle of my 20s, you know, starting to feel the urge or starting to feel the, uh, a little bit of the sadness of still being single. You even said to me one time, you were like, hey, Gion, I know you're, you know, trying to plant this church and help, help a lot with the church, but just go to another church to find a husband. <laughs> and in my head, I was like, how does one go to another? How do you do that? That's so weird. You know, in my mind, I'm overcomplicating what you're saying. And really what you're saying is free yourself up to go meet guys, go meet people, go find him. It's okay. But pause. Here's the thing. If there's any overuse verse in scripture, it has to be, I think, Proverbs 22, 18, which is what he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's like, I think it's the one verse that's making people captives. <laughs> they're remaining captive and they're in bondage, I would say. Because it's, you never, I don't ever want to be the woman who's doing the finding and then the man is not feeling like he's manly enough because he's not the one. If that makes sense, do you, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I would never base any kind of, teaching on one verse. On top of that, I would never base any teaching on the Old Testament. I don't live in the Old Testament. I live in the New Testament. Well, I read the whole Bible. Yeah, I've probably read more of the whole Bible than you have. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't live in the Old Testament. But from the beginning, I think God brought the woman to the man. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Well, go. Let God bring the woman to the man. There's nothing wrong with that. But the over spiritual people would be like, but did God bring you to the man? <laughs> you know, okay. So to unpack that, what I'm hearing you say is if there is genuine attraction, that could be intuitively God bringing you to someone. That's what I'm hearing you say. Now, here's the thing. There is not a time in my time of being in the church and being very faithful to going and serving and, and receiving that I've heard. And, and this is, I mean, someone could say, well, you don't go to the church to learn how to, to, to date or whatever. But I mean, if you're sitting up in the church and you're trying to receive as many teachings about gray areas of your life, you're thinking that maybe love would be one of them. I don't find the church teaches really good principles on love and attraction and dating. I don't. If anything, I feel like this one book when I read when I was 15 helped me understand the value of purity and waiting, which was I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And then there wasn't much else. It was like everybody was starting to do this whole purity pledge thing and no dating. Okay. All right. So we, we've done enough talking about the Bible and, and church and, and, Okay, so we do that. It's understood. Yes. It's understood God comes first. It's understood that we, Jesus is our Savior. It's understood that uh, we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yeah, all, all that. All right, we, right. So that's all understood. All right. Yes. Now, now experience. Now, let's just talk about experience for just a minute. Go for it. Some people will be married for five years. Some people will be married for seven years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. They have found a way to work together, to keep their marriage together, because there's lots of trials. There's lots of testing. There's yeah. lots of difficulty. There's things to work out with experience. And you're not always going to find the answer in church, in the Bible, Absolutely. in your prayer time. It's going to be you and him working it out. Yes. Or it won't get worked out because there's a lot of divorce in the church. Yes. And a lot of bad marriages in the church. And there's a lot of affairs in the church because they don't have the answers. Right. So there's more answers in the experience. I like it. Yeah. All right. So, you, yes, you look for a Christian spouse. You, you do as much as you can to use Christian guidelines and Bible verses. In it, but when it comes, it's going to come down to your experience. So, so you could be in a bubble. You could be in a certain church, in a certain denomination, in a certain neighborhood. You could be like growing up there. You could be in college there. And, and you're, you're in this thinking uh, of a certain, and it's such a small bubble. No, our church is quite large. It's such a small bubble. What would happen if you got married in this bubble and you both think the same and you talk about pursuing and missionary work and saving the least and the lost and being out among the nations Stop. and all this talk. Yeah. And then all of a sudden your husband gets offered a better job in Seattle. 
Yes. And you go. You have no friends, no relatives, no mm. church, nothing. It's just you and him. And that mm. is what marriage is all about. Mm. So it should be about that no matter where you are, even if you are among your church and your parents and your friends and your relatives and your peers and all these people that you're trying to impress. It should always be about you and him. Yeah. What about Jesus? Yeah, he's all up in there in the middle, but we already know that. We got that. Right, right. But it's you and him. It's what you work out. Right. I love it. Because that's what's going to happen. Your marriage will not work unless you and him work it out. So and you're going to work things out that are not going to have anything to do with the church. Absolutely. And you were mentioning this to me a little bit, little bit last week about how little attraction plays into the marriage, but how much it is about you working together and you, can you hear me? And then you, um, oh, <laughs> you can't hear me, but you were just make, mentioning how much, how little attraction has to do with it and how much it is about, you know, attraction's great. Gayon, I think attraction is wonderful. Because like I said before, opposites attract. It's part of the, the process. But the attraction is only to get the people together. Right. Now, what happens after that is just like starting your car. You ever had your battery go dead? Yeah. At, yeah. And did somebody come along with jumper cables and jump you off? Mm -hmm. Well, that's all very exciting. Sparks fly and there's all kinds of electricity and you get jumped off and, it's, vroom, and you're ready to go. But you don't leave the cables on. Right. That car has got to go down the road by itself without the cables on. So the attraction is great for getting the thing started. But once the thing is started, you don't need. I hear a symphony. You don't need yeah. sparks. You have love. So you were saying character last week. You were saying that people need to be looking for character. And, and I think you even started to give me the definition of how marriage works. You don't seek it. You were saying you don't need to seek marriage in and of itself as a destination. It happens. It was kind of like you were saying, and I'm paraphrasing, it happens sort of two people walking life together. And then serendipitously, they see that, they're, that there's general attraction. They see that they work together well, and they see each other's character traits, flaws and all, and they decide that they're going to continue life together. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then we go and spoil it all by having a wedding mm -hmm. and trying to convince them that they need to change their roles and rules. What? No, they already have a relationship. Right. Don't, don't tell this relationship how they should have a relationship. They already have one. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think the church ought to keep its nose out of people's marriages. Whoop, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Said by a marriage counselor of 18 years at a church. Okay. Yeah. I think you're one to listen to. All right. The, there, is a, there is a verse. The marriage bed is undefiled. Mm -hmm. That means whatever you want to do in your marriage, it's between you and him. Right. Don't tell me what I can do in my marriage bed. Yeah. And believe me, there's books out there that tell you. Yeah, and I also see one that. Position. I see this. I see this micromanagement in ways in which. Oh my! Like, yes. God, you can only like, have sex on certain days of the week. You can only have sex in certain positions. You can only have sex. Blah blah blah. You cannot use this, and you cannot use that, and the lights have to be off. And 
oh my God, get out of my bedroom. Mm -hmm. The marriage bed is undefiled. Mm -hmm. It's our bed, not yours. Get out. Right. It's not a community bed. Hello. So that's no. good. That's good. Did I say, now, did I say kick Jesus out of the bed? No. 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 It's the church, the organized, institutionalized, micromanaging church. No, no. You go away. I, it doesn't matter to me if you're a pastor, a bishop. You, you got your own wife. You go, you go have your relationship. We're having ours. Right. Now, if I go to a counselor... And I would recommend going to a counselor that's not in your church. Wow. Why do you say that? They know you. So, okay. Go to someone that doesn't know you. Good. Go to a Christian counselor. Yeah. Unless you're having problems. There was one couple that came to me and he says, look, I can't. I watched so much porn before I got married that I didn't realize that I have to have so much overstimulation that she can't help me. We can't have sex. I said, well, your needs are way beyond what I can help you with. You need to go to a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And don't go to a Christian one. Wow. They need help. They need physical help. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you can see what we're preparing for is not a wedding. What right. we're preparing for is a marriage. Right. That's going to last a long time. Ours has lasted almost 40 years. Awesome. Yeah, well, you're going you're gonna to go through some stuff. Yeah. In 40 years, you're going to go through some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So with that said, because I, I had some questions, but I think they're whack compared to what we're talking about. Um, do you think that dating is just a mess in regards to preparing people for marriage and, or are people just needing to own their own process as opposed to reading these books? I mean, literally you started off talking about a whole bunch of Christian books that don't really speak to, well, you said you did. It I, think, I think the idea of dating has been hijacked. Okay. So when we say that word, it's like saying a word like hell or a word like sin or a word like love I agree. that has many different meanings mm -hmm. and people attach their own meanings to it. And those words have been hijacked and they're only used in certain contexts. Mm -hmm. So, so when I say dating, just to be clear, I mean the information gathering process between two people who may or who may be attracted to each other. They're not sure. No, well, but that's not what dating has come to mean though. Okay. For a man, that's my, that's where, just to be on the same page, okay. that's my definition. And it took time for me to get there. Okay. It was hijacked. Right. Okay. Well, so, so I agree with that. Yes. So when you say dating, I want to make sure what we're talking about. I agree with that. Yeah. That's why I say, yeah, get to know somebody, meet them somewhere. Say, you know, I've heard you talk about this. I'd like to hear more. I'd like to get to know you. Whatever the, you know, the 21st century, 2017, 2018 talk is about how you interchange with somebody. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you have to use the wording that us old people would have used back in the day, but whatever wording it is that you use now, there's nothing wrong with getting together with another person to find out what they're really like. And group settings is great too. I mean, right. All right. So maybe you're not going to go bowling, but 
whatever it is that you would do together, go to the beach or go, I don't know. Where do you go? Wherever it is that you go these days, go there and talk to the person and listen to the person. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I find that again, not to just, again, just giving it to you, a report from the single fields, these streets, (laughs) the streets of dating. Um, I find that, yes, the word has been hijacked to some people. To some people, it's too intense. It's sometimes to some people, it's, too loose dating means okay so even look at the book you read i kiss dating goodbye well that's talking about a certain kind of dating absolutely yeah it's talking about a certain kind of dating that so you talk to this guy uh you meet this guy at work and uh you've noticed him and there's an attraction there and you're about the same age and he's a christian guy goes to a different church and you want to get to know him better so you say hey let's grab a cup of coffee sometime and he Okay, so he's thinking, oh boy, she's into me. <laughs> this is going to be hot. And so he agrees to this coffee thing, and then he says, you want to come over to my place? And you're like, no. He says, well, what the heck? You've been leading me on. Mm. No. No. And you got to stand your ground. It's like, no, don't put that guilt trip on me. I specifically told you I wanted to get to know you better. Yeah, well, how better to get to know someone than to, you know, coffee. than right. to come back to my place Netflix. and have something stronger than coffee. Okay. What about, what do you think? Do you think the guys lead girls on in the church, though, without the banner of dating? I feel like there's a lot of guys that are not trying to say that they're dating someone and they're just trying to get to know the girl. But then the, it's like, but then the girl is trying to hear you're asking me out on a date to get to know me as opposed to just finding ways to, to talk. Does that make sense? Do you know that they tell counselors not to counsel their own family? I would hear that. Yeah. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Why? Okay. Because they Pause. Able to be professional with it. They wouldn't. Be yes. Able- yes. And so we're going to say, okay, so that's the negative. And, and to state that in positive terms, you would hear a doctor being told, I know you're the best at this kind of surgery, but it's your daughter. You shouldn't do it. Why? Because I hear too close. Too close. Too close. What does that mean? He knows his daughter. He's in, he's involved with his daughter. He's related to emotionally vested in it. So I would almost say, don't find someone in your own church. There's mm-hmm. too many other factors good. governing your relationship. That's really, you, that's a gem. That's a gem, Glenn. I've never heard someone say that. I've never heard someone say that. Well, It'd you be like a doctor operating on his own family. Yeah. It's a lawyer. Standing. Then, so what's interesting, so. This is what's interesting, right? Everyone is everyone who's been raised in the church or has any form of traditional upbringing has been taught to go to church to find their significant other. And by church, we mean the church that they feel comfortable going to to worship. So when you say go to a different church, that is foreign. 
foreign for most, you know, but I mean, it makes sense. Cause I know I've been through some issues where I'm like, I can't, I can't date this person. You know, but it's interesting that you're saying that. Cause I think that a lot of people are thinking, no, I'm supposed to be finding, I'm supposed to be finding my husband in the church that I attend that I've invested in because isn't he supposed to know my reputation? Am I not supposed to know his reputation? You know, that kind of a thing. But I hear you. I, th- I like that. All right. Any other closing thoughts that you want to land the plane with, with regards to love and one of the missing links that many, maybe millennial women are? But I think you've kind of really stressed it. The equality piece is really huge. Reading your book. Love, love is like working out. Mm. If you want to improve your body, if you want to build muscle and lose fat, you go to the gym, you get a routine, you start working out. Love is like that. Love is not looking at a poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger and going on some, hello, are you still there? Yes, I am. I'm still here. Still there? Yes. Okay. We're having technical difficulties. We are. are I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. So, so working out is not looking at a poster of Arnold Schwarzenegger and saying, I want to be that going on a crash diet, going and lifting weights for a week and then chucking the whole thing because it was just emotion. Mm. Okay. I would dare say that an arranged marriage works out better than an infatuated one. Because when the infatuation wears off, you've got nothing left and you're off the diet. You're not exercising anymore. And it's no more than a new year's resolution because it was based on a feeling. But when you go after marriage, um, not the wedding, when you go after a relationship, a long-term relationship, you're looking for qualities in that person and you're offering qualities to that person that you yeah. want to develop for a lifetime. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. <laughs> I can't. Oh, this has been such a joy. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Glenn. I really appreciate you making the time to be on the She Ventures Now podcast and just really giving it to us. Keeping it 100 is what we say. Urban communities, mm. aka black people. But you know what I mean? Like, thank you for telling it like it is is and um, really teaching us about love again, retraining our minds to think long-term marriage minded and not infatuation, not selfishly, not church dogma, the things that we grew up hearing that are just old mindsets, things like a whole weight. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. We'll talk again. That's all I have for you today, friends. If you're interested in leveling up in your career, creativity, or your confidence, schedule a free consultation at SheVenturesNow.com.